0: Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, Attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's Attorney CPA Joe Cordell.
1: Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. We're picking up in episode two uh, of the third topic, that we're dealing with on the subject of trusts and the key moving parts. You'll recall the first part we talked about were, was the trustee, what's the responsibility and the role of the trustee, things to consider about appointing a trustee, et cetera. We analyzed beneficiaries, you know, who should you appoint, how you should appoint them, pros and cons of different provisions you can have regarding how to distribute assets to beneficiaries or to not distribute. Or at least to do it over a long period of time. And then today, or these last two episodes, this of which is being the second episode, is the third part of that discussion and the second episode of that third part. And that relates to the assets or the what's called by lawyers, the corpus of the trust. And that's kind of the center of action in many ways, because that that is a discussion about what do you put in immediately what do you wait and put in later for the reasons we talked about in the last episode uh, there are there are lots of things that you may decide you want to keep out of the trust for various reasons we've we've tackled the main categories a number of main categories uh, already so look at be sure to review those. And so today, we want to talk about two other categories. One relates to insurance, and that'll be a fairly brief discussion, but it, it deserves separate discussion. And with insurance comes also the subject of annuities. Um, and then we're going to talk about, after that, the part relating to tax-deferred assets. And that's a little bit of a longer discussion, because for many people, the largest single component of their portfolio relates to the IRA, 401K, maybe a Roth So uh, we know that that this is the center of action for many people. And it's funny, it's potentially the most complicated because you have the federal government involved in your decision-making more so than if there weren't these these, uh, tax revenues uh, that the government is counting on getting from you better sooner than later. So anyway... um, Let's take on life insurance first. Uh, with us today, continuing this discussion, is Ben Zinkel, and he is with Tucker Allen, an attorney who practices exclusively in this area, as all the attorneys do with Tucker Allen. Uh, so, you want to undertake the topic of life insurance?
2: Yes. As we discussed previously on the previous episode, there are several ways to fund your trust or put your assets into your trust. Uh, one of those is transfer on death designations Uh, likewise with life insurance you have beneficiary designations and What a person can do with a beneficiary designation is they can designate who they'd want their life insurance policy to go to or to pay out to after they pass away you can put individuals but you can also list your trust as as the beneficiary designation, and there are some benefits in doing that as opposed to just listing specific uh, beneficiaries. The first one is that if you just list uh, specific people on your life insurance for your life insurance payout, they're, they're they're typically only listed in sequential order. So the primary beneficiary would get everything, and then the secondary uh, would would get it if that person predeceased uh, the 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 person who put the um, who has the life insurance policy? Uh, so some are different. Some you can split it out to uh, three children, your three children, etc. Uh, but if you list your, uh, if a person lists their trust as the beneficiary v- beneficiary to their life insurance policy, the terms of the trust will control where that life insurance policy goes. So a person would have more control over uh, things. They can list out uh, their beneficiaries specifically who they, who they want, uh, the, their life insurance policy to, to go to. Uh, of course, all of your remote contingent beneficiaries and things like that apply and, of, and any rules that they put in their trust concerning continuing trust or lifetime trust, it would flow through that first. Um, so it does, d- does give that person a little more control over their life insurance policy by listing their trust as a beneficiary.
1: Yeah. And, uh, And the problem, the elephant in the room in this discussion is that even if you want to go ahead and put your assets, your tax-deferred assets directly into the trust, you're going to pay a pretty big price because the way that the IRS interprets this is this is a transfer in which taxes are due. So if you have a Roth IRA, then you're fine because you don't have taxes due, you've already paid those. Uh, But to the extent that we're talking about what is more commonly out there, which are the, the standard or traditional IRAs, as well as the 401k, then when you make that transfer, you're gonna pay probably a ton of taxes. So most of our clients don't wanna do that. I want to remind you that it's very important to us to get subscriptions. Um, for you to press that like button is helpful, but the subscribe button is the most important thing to us. And you know, we don't sell a product on here. I mean, actually the show is sponsored by Tucker Allen. So we do talk about Tucker Allen, but to be honest with you, the the efforts that we put into this show is something that is of personal value to us more than monetary, quite frankly. We do love to do it because we think that we're being of great value to, to many of you. Let us know that, uh, you like us, yes. But the most important thing we look at is subscriptions. You know, we've had a number of clients who, you know, perhaps one of the reasons they're doing their estate planning late in the game is that they've had a diagnosis. Um, they know that, that the money is something that they want they want to have access to sooner than later. So they know that that even though they may pay, the taxes sooner, that it's important for them to have the funds, and they want it to also have the benefits of being in a trust and having that versatile plan that you can only have with a trust versus a beneficiary designation, which is going to have, in almost all cases, will have something with the simplicity that Ben was just describing. Well, you may have much bigger and better ideas for how you want the money managed over time. So, uh, you definitely want your money in the trust Now, you can do that as Ben mentioned through a beneficiary designation where you name the trust, so it does end up there when you die. but sometimes we've had a, we've had more than one client who's had a point where they need the money sooner than later, so they go ahead and move the money into the trust, knowing that they've they've sped up or accelerated this tax by. You know, a few years, but they know that they're gonna spend that money for healthcare reasons. They're probably somebody who doesn't qualify for Medicaid, so they have these assets that Medicaid, remember, they count tax-deferred assets. Medicaid counts virtually everything of any significance for purposes of whether you qualify or not for skilled care. So somebody who's looking at very expensive skilled care, and they have assets, and their most of their assets are, are their 401k or IRA, they just simply say, "Fine, I'll go ahead and and cash it out now, rather than cash it out over the next two or three years." And I'm going to put the money in the trust. And if I die tomorrow, I know that it un- has subject to this great plan that I've developed. This elaborate, remember we talked about earlier in this in the series about these dynastic, you know, multi generational plans you can have, even if you're not a millionaire. So, they can have the peace of mind of knowing that they've they've put it in the trust. It's subject to this rules. So, if they make it for the three or four years that they hope, then they're great. And if they don't, that's okay, too. But generally speaking, uh, if you're not in one of these exceptional situations, you're going to want to have your tax-deferred assets to, to stay outside the trust and use the beneficiary clause, beneficiary designation uh, that Ben just referenced. So, that That is what I think most of you will choose to do. And uh, just to make crystal clear why you don't simply use a beneficiary designation of your loved ones as part of these assets. You know, you you give up such an opportunity that we've talked about so much on this show. I mean, incredible opportunity to to build in these marvelous protections uh, that that you only afforded through an avenue like this, like a trust, where you can protect your children and grandchildren from some of the biggest risks that are out there. If I were to ask you to name, you know, what do you think are the biggest hits that can likely happen to people as they as they get older? And, and some of these are mistakes that people are vulnerable to themselves, mistakes of their own making. Um, others are things that are just hovering out there and you can run into them around any corner. Uh, but these are real risks. I think that we'd probably name, I, I would name you know, that business failure, economic crises that happen to can happen to any of us really. Uh, it, I would name also health crises. And the creditors that might accompany that, so you could lose a fortune by having somebody who's not eligible for government healthcare, and you have a catastrophic medical circumstance, whether it's a traumatic event or a disease, uh, it could eat through everything you own. Um, divorce, you know, if if you have, if you think your children or grandchildren or great grandchildren will get married. I'm sure you all hope that they do and that they marry correctly, Um, but it's a risk. So those are just a few things, not to mention you can dispense it in a way that you think is consistent with the needs and the judgment of your loved ones. So um, that's generally the approach that we take with tax-deferred assets. Um, So the last topic that we want to talk about, and this is kind of a more comprehensive topic that really spans all of the assets that we've discussed when we talk about the corpus of the trust and that's what are the things you need to have in place to assure that that what you want to happen when you're gone happens so usually when the trust is being created those initial decisions you're there and you're participating in those so as as long as you know what you want and if you have a good lawyer like Tucker Allen if you if you have a good lawyer they're advising you and you're making decisions normally that's not where things go awry when they do go awry with estate planning often it's not that point it's the point later where you've passed away or you've become incompetent it could occur at that earlier point where you know some event has happened and and you've gone from in charge running your life and knowing all the information about where your assets are and your passwords and all that information to suddenly, you know, you can't cooperate or participate, right? You're, you're now strictly a spectator in your care, uh, in the care of someone. That person at that moment, someone needs to be in a position to be able to access all the things that's important to you. We've talked a lot about the fact that, yeah, they have to have the authority, you know, you got to have the authority. The show stopped. No show begins for your care until they get this authority. So we've told you how to get that and make it happen just like that through your trustee and, and your attorney, in fact. Um, but now that they have the legal authority, what are the practical things? What are the tactical stuff? What is the tactical stuff that you need to take care of so that they can swing into action? They have the authority you know if you've if you've done the things we've talked about on this show you know this during this this series as well as before we've assured they have the authority the question is now can they in a in an efficient way swing into action and take care of things according to the plan that you have already laid out so that's what we're going to take a few minutes here and talk about Ben where do you want to start on this topic
2: I'll start talking about safety safe deposit boxes. Uh, these are thing uh, boxes at a bank to, that we all know about. Uh, if you if you want to put personal things in there, deeds, that sort of thing, uh, in a safety deposit box. Jewelry, if, a, if, a, if jewelry, yes. Uh, if if a person has a safety deposit box and they pass away and they don't have anybody on the authorization list uh, but themselves, it's a hassle to for the trustee to. Um, go to the bank and, and try to access that box, typically you have to get a court order to access that, that box uh, if, if you're not on that authorization list. So something to keep in mind, if, if somebody does have a safe deposit box, they should probably add their trustee and their trust to the authorization list. Uh, that way that would cover all the successor trustees, etc. there. I can go ahead and talk about digital assets
1: as well. well. Yeah, before you go to yep. that. Um, and, and also, if you have a durable power of attorney, then you might add that per, now that person may be the same as your trustee, as we've talked about. Uh, but but be sure that whoever holds a durable power of attorney too, if it's a different person, you might want to name them as well as your, your trustee. Uh, yeah, now let's shift over. What were You, you're, you were going to talk about digital assets.
2: Yes. Uh, so something that is important is most of us have a lot of our life on our phones and on our digital accounts these days, uh, the financial things being the main one, uh, but things such as photos and, and sentimental things on people's phones that they'd like their loved ones to access after they pass away. Or more importantly, if they do become incapacitated and they don't have control over, over their life anymore and they need somebody to access something quickly, say they need to have a bill paid um, or need to contact family members. Uh, If, if you're, power of attorney or the person that that's in place to take care of this person's uh, things as, as if when they become incapacitated if they don't have the password to their phone uh, or passwords to their accounts or anything they can't access any of that we did some research into it, and and you know called Apple, called Google, uh, all of these technology corporations, and especially for powers of attorney, they do they don't allow powers of attorney to access passwords or anything. Um, they do have programs. Apple has something called legacy contacts that uh, you can designate your legacy contact on your on your iPhone. Uh, what will happen is that after you pass away, the the that your legacy contact just has to have a death certificate and they can send it to Apple and Apple will give them access to that that person's phone. Um, But like I said, that's only after somebody passes away. During incapacity, they don't allow anybody to access passwords or phones, which makes it vitally important to have your passwords, your phone codes, your unlocks, everything in a place, preferably with your trust documents, for your trustee and for your power of attorney to access should you become incapacitated and upon your death.
1: Yeah, that's huge. That's interesting. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident that um, if there were a court action filed that ultimately you could force you know any online company to disgorge information, including these platforms that oh, yeah. do business in every state. And they do business in the state of Missouri and whatever state you're in. Uh, The problem is that it defeats the purpose, meaning that the Durable Power of Attorney Act uh, was put in place to streamline people taking care of their needs when an emergency arose, and they're still alive. Remember, Durable Powers of Attorney are when you're still alive, not when you're dead, when you're still alive. They expire. The authority expires, except to clean things up maybe, and they're allowed to do that related to... You know, a sort of um, getting your affairs in order immediately after you pass away, transferring assets maybe to an appropriate person, etc. But nothing more than that, and then their authority ends. Um, unlike a trustee, a trustee goes on in perpetuity. I mean, if you have beneficiaries alive, the trust can stay into effect for three hundred years. So, so the idea though that that such a critical information as you just gave examples of online with Google and other other websites where critical data is stored that they can simply say we're not going to honor a document that that exists in every state every state has some counterparts so unify it's a uniform powers of attorney act Um, and it is designed to require businesses to be responsive to these documents to not require unreasonable information so it specifically says to businesses that you know this person will have the authority to do these things and and it lists some things they can't do uh, under law. I mean, there are certain doors that are absolutely closed and locked to a durable, to the attorney, in fact, and among them is, is the ability to change your will. They can't simply go in and decide that they're going. And those are things most people don't want, the person that they put in charge of taking care of them while they're incompetent. They don't want them to say, oh, I think I'll rearrange his estate plan. So they can't do that. Good news there. So there are a few doors locked, but there are a few doors... That are wide open, and the law says if you close this door, there will be consequences to a vendor, to a you know, to a financial institution, etc. So, and, and that's because our society and economy has a built-in interest. The state of Missouri and all other states have a built-in interest assuring that things can get done when you're not able to do it in this aging society that we have. So, the fact that 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 platforms that hold in their records such crucial information as what you were talking about can simply thumb their nose and say, we're not going to honor a durable power of attorney. It smells bad. And, and so I'm, I'm not questioning the answer that you all got in your research. I'm sure the answer you got is, is the answer they give. But still, what's frustrating is that no one's going to take the time to file a lawsuit. Because by then, they, they, they would have solved it some other way, probably. Um, so it's frustrating to me that, that they can take this position that other institutions, for example, you take the document of a durable power of attorney, your, your person who's acting on your behalf walks into a bank anywhere in the United States, even in a different state, and they're going to be obliged to 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 honor that. Now, they can make you go through a few hoops, in fairness, when I think about another state. They can require you to go through a few hoops. Uh, so let, let me make my example for any bank doing business in the United in, in Missouri. If they were to deny that, they would be in front of a Judge that would be harsh, because you know this is a this is a method that's been approved and endorsed and encouraged uh, by the legislature of Missouri uh, to help its citizens and its businesses. Um, and, and incidentally, I should tell you that the counterpart of that is that they're largely protected if it turns out something's wrong with that. That's the other side of the coin is that businesses are protected, meaning that bank, if if somebody brings something in, there's a forgery, it's not really not like they're, they're, for example, they can look and see it's notarized, and it is required to be notarized. They can see that it's it, there's a notary there and what looks like a notary signature. They're not required to go any further. They have no duty. It's called a duty of inquiry. Uh, a business or a bank, uh, especially, especially financial institutions, they don't have a duty to inquire quote unquote. instead they can look they can see it certified they can assume it's correct if it turns out it's a big fraud bank is not going to be penalized for that. They can't be sued for that. So they hand, they handed over a million dollars to somebody who gave them this fraudulent document. Um, that's okay. I mean that the bank is is uh, is not going to be sued. so, that's the counterpart of this point is that businesses, websites and other where they allow access, they're protected because it is a two-way street. If the state of Missouri and other states say, look, businesses, you have to be willing to hand over this crucial information to people with durable powers of attorney. That's the way this world's got to work in the 21st century. Then then they also say, here's the good news. Um, look, if you just check the essentials, if, if you look, if it looks like a valid signature, if you see that it's notarized, um, a few other things you might look at, facially, and you can act on it. You know that is uh, unless you have actual knowledge of some sort of fraud going on, then then you're protected. Uh, that really annoys me that that they could force uh, force somebody to file a lawsuit because I'm convinced they'd ultimately win. Meaning the the person. Who has the durable power of attorney would ultimately win. In any case, um, it is something though that is huge. If you don't, if you don't make arrangements the way Ben just described, and that's what makes sense, is put it in a central place. If you don't do that, then you have this this wonderful authority um, that has a whole lot of power, but its power is for naught because it has no authority or no no subject matter, I should say, to act on. It doesn't know where your information is. It doesn't maybe know where some of your assets are. Uh, Now, thankfully, if it's a trust, most of those assets are in the trust and they're probably already, hopefully, being controlled by the trustee. So that's good news if we're talking about a trust, especially if this other person, your trustee has been acting in control some already. Now, if you were the trustee, we talked about this in the first episode, if you were, or the first, first episode, but also the first uh, uh, item of this three-part series. <laughs> We're have to come up. Justin, you're going to have to plan this better.
2: We'll title it appropriately.
1: <laughs> so in any case, um, but but if, if that person was already participating, then they have that information. If they weren't and you suddenly become incompetent, then the good news is your successor trustee immediately steps into power. All of a sudden, you have somebody just at that moment in time that they're needed, they have the authority through the trust for everything that's in the trust. Um, and they probably have, in fairness, already a lot of information, a lot more than, than perhaps a person with a durable power of attorney, which might be your brother who hopefully lives across town, not across the country. He might, and that's not necessarily a bad thing a deal killer, but hopefully across town. But still, he's across town. He doesn't participate in the details of your life. So if you're counting on that person you've named as the attorney, in fact, to be able to swiftly come to your care to assume their their post and to man it effectively, then they've got to have access to that information. They don't need it in advance, but they got to know where to get it. You know that I was just thinking about the point you made about about the safe deposit box. I wonder if I know that'd be true of a trustee. What you describe, I wonder though if the holder of a durable power of attorney would have to be allowed. I think they'd have to be allowed access. I
2: believe so. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. If it's certified and all that, it's just an example of how you know our legislature is saying we look, um, look, citizens of Missouri if you want a mechanism that takes care of you in a in an urgent situation, then we're willing to give create the authority. We're creating an instrument here. We're giving it all this power. You just need to go ahead and have it properly filled out, and you need to have it properly executed. But if you do that, we're giving you the means to take care of everything that you need to take care of, uh, to have your, your life managed appropriately for the balance, however long it lasts, or your your incapacity lasts. And it's up to you to take advantage of it. But it was appropriate that we close this episode by calling your attention to all this, I dare say that most, I, I would say the substantial majority of all the use, really useful information resides online for the majority of us. And so don't shrug off this concluding topic. It really is critical, and it's not just assets that are found online. It's information, and information means creditors. It means um, other priorities you have, things you point out I hadn't thought about with these photos. Jeez, everybody's photos now are online. I bet I have have 5,000 photos online. My daughter doesn't delete photos, so you can count on five different shots of any given topic at least uh I, I i'm of the school of thought that says that when you when you choose a particular subject and, and and it's basically the same shot trying to improve on itself you make a decision then and there if you have time if not that evening at the hotel or wherever you are and you get rid of the other ones justin uh do you have a position on this subject
2: as as a creative person i agree that and plus, it's just more data to sort through and more data to store. And yeah. you sort through all those extra ones, and you're like, "Yeah, this isn't any better. But yeah, I, I as a very amateur photographer, I get rid of the bad stuff and only keep the good shots.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the ones I end up keeping are not so hot, but they're better than the rest. I think the, I think the mistake I make is I'm paying for my daughter's storage. That's it. Maybe if she had less storage capacity. So, in any case, um, any any concluding thoughts? No, I think we've covered most of it. All right. So, I hope that this whole discussion has been helpful to you. We're big believers in revocable trusts, uh, but but use a revocable trust in conjunction with your durable power of attorney. Uh, we'll be back again to talk about similar, useful, and hopefully interesting subjects. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Until next time, take care.
0: You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.